Blog Talk Radio. Hi, happy Sunday, everybody. It's Israel Hampton here at Government 2.0 Radio. I'm here with my co-hosts, Steve Lunsford and Steve Ressler. Today we're going to be talking to Gwen Coaston, uh, the author of the popular On.gov blog, about uh, wrestling with change, the uh, problematic uh, uh, paradoxes of uh, line workers and middle managers embracing Government 2.0 when uh, it seems like it's a handful of folks who get uh, 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 to create all the buzz. Uh, and we'll be talking about how to handle that in your own agency and how to keep uh, spreading uh, government reform. So before we get into that, though, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, news this week and government and technology. And uh, Steve Lunsford, did you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. I just pushed out uh, for folks that are follow uh, GovTwit. I just pushed out kind of a, a roundup, I think, of some of the cool stories that I saw this past week. And the first one was uh, that we got off to a fun start with um, GovFresh. Uh, GovFresh.com receiving a note from someone purporting to be uh, from the White House staff following up on kind of the controversy about uh, can the White House tweet or can they not, that uh, the the chief spokesman had had an interview with CNN and said that Twitter was blocked at the White House. And it turns out it's actually not. However, uh, you have to be one of the dozen or so folks working in the social media group, I think, to to have access. So there are live tweets coming out of uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but... uh, uh, for, for in terms of using Twitter, I think as a tool for the the larger employee base at the White House, uh, not quite yet. That was a pretty funny story, actually. I was there, or it was a, basically a parody, right? And uh, I, I liked it because half the people I know in there, you you were mentioned a few times, but uh, it, it, it was pretty. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a cute way to kind of bring attention to the fact that it, that it's not being used there. Uh, one of the other things, and maybe uh, Mr. Mr. Govloop, Mr. Ressler can speak to it, is uh, uh, there was a, um, a group on on Govloop getting together to kind of compile and and crowdsource and 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 uh, help, I think, spread some of the good stuff that came out of the OGI conference the week before. Do you want to talk about the tweet book, uh, Steve? Sure. Um, so yeah, Andy Krzmarzik, that's at uh, Crazy Chris with uh, two Ks there. Uh, he uh, during the Open Government Conference, he he came up to me and I think he was talking to a couple other people like Jack Holt over at DoD and said, "Wouldn't it be great to uh, have a synopsis all, of all the tweets from all these sessions, uh, a roundup? Because um, while there's all these great dialogues and you get some of it through search uh, Twitter, it's uh, it's just a lot of info. And you know we've been doing that." At GovLoop, trying to do the, the sweet Gov tweets when we can of conferences and some days um, to kind of solve some of that. And this has really been the first take we're trying to do of a conference. We're trying to do a tweet book, which is basically a short. Uh, I think it's going to end up being 10 or 15 page, almost like a, a white paper, an ebook document of the best tweets. So highlighting the sessions for the people that weren't there. Uh, in tweet format. So Andy uh, posted on GovLoop, and I think he got 20 uh, responses or so of people helping pull his book together, uh, the crowd coming together to do this. And I think he should be ready the first week of August. So keep a lookout for that. I've seen the first draft, and it uh, looks really cool. So uh, hopefully by next week, next show, uh, we'll have that fully out. And that should be posted on GovLoop, I think uh, Andy's blog, GenShift, uh, and probably over the Open Government Innovations website as well. 
Yeah, it's a really cool way, I think, for folks that couldn't make it to the conference, you know, that aren't D.C.-based or, or weren't able to come in to kind of, you know, they may have followed some of the tweets live or, or some of the information by following the hashtag, the OGI hashtag. But um, I think, you know, you've had, you got a, as you mentioned, there are a group of editors. They put it together and it kind of tells the story of uh, the different uh, sessions and different uh, keynotes that happened throughout the couple of days there. So I think it's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, you know, the other thing I'd mentioned that, that really got a lot of, lot of play this week is uh, um, the U.K.'s Department of Business, Innovation, and Skills, uh, Neil Williams there, he's uh, Neely Neil on Twitter, pushed out a 20-page a guidebook for uh, the U.K. government's usage of uh, the microblogging site, how to use it the best way, and um, it had a lot of play, let me tell you. I mean, it made its way to the New York Times, AP covered it, the BBC, Mashable, it, it was kind of all over the place. So I think uh, if folks haven't had a chance to look at it, um, you can go to the, the blog at govtwit.com, or I'll push that out here a, a bit in a bit um, on, on the Twitter stream. It, it's a really good, I think, comprehensive overview. There's a couple of others that are out there from that we talked about on this program, I think, a week or so ago that the uh, uh, USA.gov has published and HHS has published as well. But I think it's, you know, it, it's good that you, you're now starting to see uh, you know, people have used these types of tools, and, and some of the early adopters are now trying to write, I think, some guidance and some information to help others start to adapt and, and use the tools for their, whether it's their division or their agency or whatever. So I think it's kind of cool to see this stuff popping up. Yeah, definitely. I think you'll you'll see more and more of that. And kind of what I like about uh, these new approaches is they're, uh, you know, going out uh, to the public for looking for some help as well. So I saw... Uh, this week, another cool thing I thought was uh, OPM, that's Office of Personnel Management uh, for the federal government, basically the head of HR, uh, published their 2010 strategy, and we're asking for comments. So uh, there's a couple people posting uh, on GovLoop comments and also linking over to the site where you can uh, give feedback. And I think uh, maybe last week, NARA, the Records Association, did the same. Um, just so more and more as agencies reach out to the public for comment, I think it's a really good thing to get more minds thinking. Yeah, and you know, another crowdsourcing that came out this week is, you know, there's a story toward the end of the week that DOD is considering banning all use of social media platforms. FCW reported that on Friday, and, and almost immediately afterwards, um, the DOD popped up a, a Web 2.0 guidance forum, uh, and it's uh, web2oguidanceforum.dodlive.mil for that, and uh, uh, to, to again try to see what are some of the the questions people may have. Our, our guest from last week, Noel Dickover, actually is is uh, I think leading that effort, or at least based on the post, it looks like he's uh, one of the co-conspirators in trying to to get that effort off the ground. So it, it's nice to see that it's you know you may see some media stories that says okay that there's risk involved with some with using some of these new new collaborative technologies. Um, uh, yet you're looking at uh, the DOD and others, again, uh, looking for comments, looking for people to weigh in to figure out, okay, how do we mitigate these risks? What's the best way to use these types of tools as as we go forward? And and how do we manage change? And I think um, maybe, uh, uh, Adriel, that's a good good kind of round to, to bring in uh, uh, Gwen and, and maybe uh, kick off the conversation. Yeah, just uh, I just want to throw one quick plug before uh, Gwen, who's awesome, jumps on the line. Um, for those uh, that are interested, uh, a group I co-founded a number of years ago but don't uh, on the advisory board now called Young Government Leaders is uh, looking for 
people for their executive board for next year. So they're doing their annual uh, call for a service that's a great way to meet people. We do a lot of uh, professional development, community service, social events, uh, chapters all over the U.S. So depending on your location, um, there's probably a chapter there. So check out that website, younggovernmentleaders.org, and I think I posted it as well on GovLoop. I believe now we have uh, Gwen Coaston on the line. Uh, Gwen, are you with us? Yes, I am. Hello. Great. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for uh, uh, inviting me. Yeah, I was hoping you could uh, just give us a little background uh, for our listeners about who you are and what you do, and, uh, and then we can just launch into some discussion of uh, things happening lately, and this is the first time we've had you on, and so we're uh, appreciative of that as well. Well, great. Thanks again. It's uh, it's good to spend a uh, Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon with you. If I could only figure out what day it is, um, just uh, I think I'm probably much less interesting than what I do. So I'll give you about five seconds about me. Um, I always I always thought I would want to be a Supreme Court justice, and when I realized there were like only you know nine slots, I figured the competition was pretty great. So I decided to take on a, a different tact, and I moved to Washington D.C. a number of years ago. And my goal was to, you know, I know it sounds crazy, but I think it fits in a lot with what Steve was just talking about, you know, to make a difference and to you know, and public service is an important part of of trying to make a difference. And I've been in the realm of I've been, had the opportunity to work with technology and work with the Internet, both managing and developing different services and different tools um, for the past 15 years. And specifically, I've been doing it in government for the past five and a half years. Um, and now I want to throw my quick disclaimer. I do work for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, but I'm here today talking as Gwen Costin, not on behalf of my department. And Gwen, you do a, uh, a blog on, uh, which is why I figured you wouldn't mind uh, taking some time on your, your Sunday afternoon to actually uh, uh, talk about uh, some of the stuff you do for work, because you also do uh, talk about these issues, the kind of issues that government communicators are dealing with uh, around the country and around the world. Uh, I guess in your spare time, you actually <laughs> take time to, to write about them. Yes, um, I have a I have a blog, and let me plug it. It's www.on.gov.com. And what I just what I I've been doing for the past half year or so on that on that uh, blog is really writing about things I think about, um, and and really taking a look at what's happening on in .gov area because it's really super exciting, um, and it's super exciting both, you know, I mean the the whole whole um, technology space and what's happening in technology and communications is really exciting on tons of different levels. But um, in government, there's, there's just really a lot of opportunity um, and a lot of movement right now. So primarily what I look at is I'm interested in different types of trends. I am a big data head. I also spend some time doing a little bit of analysis about, you know, how government can um, work to adopt um, Different technologies and different communications technologies, in order to serve the strategy of of what government tries to do. A lot of people are very excited by different tools, and while I have decent geek creds with everyone else, that's not the point. Um, the point really is: are these tools useful, and how can we use them, and how can we adapt them for the work of government? Oh, go! I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, Angel. This is uh, Steve Wrestler from GovLoop. But uh, hey, Gwen, uh, hey, glad to have you on. Um, one of my favorite parts uh, on your blog recently has been uh, 
proposed called Choir Boys and Rebels, uh, which goes into uh, the government meets the Web 2.0 conference circuit is getting tired, and it talks about kind of a, a long post uh, Jamie Manhurt had on GovLoop, and there's a lot of discussions on uh, different agencies are having trouble getting things moving, and we're kind of in this uh, early stage where some people are are fighting and, and feel like they're frustrated and other people are moving along. Maybe you can give a, a quick uh, second uh, summary for our listeners and your, your thoughts on the topic. Yeah, I think actually, I think Jamie really um, struck a nerve for a lot of people. Um, in her very thoughtful post, she had talked about this, you know, there's been a lot of um, really great and really interesting conferences and unconferences and meetings and meetings about meetings and articles about using Gov2.0 um, in, in government agencies. And Jamie's um, very smart post is saying, well, yeah, I mean, you know, we know it's a, it's a good thing. We want to do it. But now how does the rubber meet the road? How do we actually implement these types of tools in our agencies? And she talks about the different barriers that um, that she faces and the other agencies face, whether they're legal, they're cultural, they're, um, uh, you know, change-hating. Um, and, and, um, and, and the other thing is it's also concern because it's a big area of unknown. So I think Jamie did a really nice job talking about it and, and talking about, you know, these meetings are at the point where we're almost like preaching to the choir. The people who are there get the message and want to move forward. And her, you know, and her issue was how do we actually move it forward? Um, how do we actually implement these tools to actually make the business of government better for citizens? Um, and it really made me think a little bit about, I've been to many of these meetings too, and I've been to many of these unconferences, and you know, there's, it's been a great opportunity to meet people, and it's been a great opportunity to uh, make connections and to find out what other folks are doing. And it really made me think a little bit about people's perceptions about how different agencies are using Government 2.0, how they're using different pieces of technologies, how they're able to come around some of these barriers. And I'm not going to outline the barriers right now, but I do want to refer your listeners to a very, very good paper that I know that you've spoken about before, but it's on uh, webcontent.gov, www.webcontent.gov, talking about the barriers to using social media in government. Um, and I commend that, um, that paper to folks to kind of get more specifics on what some of the barriers are that have been identified. That all being said, I have a couple teenagers at home, and sometimes I, you know, I just look at it, and it's like, it's like the analogy I I make to much groans is, you know, people's appearances are thinking about government 2.0, and, and other agencies are like teenagers and sex. They all think that everybody else is doing it, and they're way behind, and that's not true. And you know, there's. There's data about that for the teenagers. I think there's less strong data about it in government. But the perception is that everybody's doing it on behind is not, is not right. We are really at the beginning, um, and not just government, but our entire, our entire society from the private sector to the not-for-profit sector to the government sector in using these tools and trying to figure them out. We're communicating in ways that we couldn't have even imagined even 18, or 18 months ago. And so, you know, my, the post I was talking about is that, you know, we're really looking at preaching to the choir, to the choir boys, but we actually need to make the choir bigger because there are those of us who are really excited and embracing change, but change is hard. And we have these very large organizations called government agencies and called government that is hard, it, it, it's hard to turn things around. And so the real work, I think, and, and what I was recommending in my post, is that people continue to, you know, 
reach out to other choir members, sing from the same hymnal, and bring that information back to their agencies. There's a lot of things that people can do way before implementing uh, the blog or the Twitter stream is not the goal in government. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of government, uh, a lot of agencies, and a lot of units, a lot of components in government who are still struggling with how to get government 1.0 right. Um, still struggling with information on our websites, just kind of our standard flat websites. So there's a lot of opportunity to really focus on what the strategy is, and also for everyone to learn about the tools themselves, because. The one thing about um, new technology, one thing about these social media tools is that if you don't use them, they sound, you know, fantastical or stupid or impossible to learn. And none of those things are true. They, they are accessible. But the time to learn about using Facebook or using Twitter or using Vimeo or YouTube is not when you're trying to implement it for your government in a government agency, but you have to have the knowledge and understand those communities ahead of time. So it's uh, you know I, I thank Jamie for helping helping to, to us to think about it a little bit more and to help expose it, not only the frustrations but also some ways forward. No, definitely, and I, and I think uh, you know, just talking to people that uh, you know change is hard. You know, introduction of you know fax, email, internet, uh, all those things take time. And uh, I was actually at a conference uh, over the weekend of a, a bunch of elected officials from the, the D.C. area. I thought, you know, they would be kind of more cutting edge. I was thinking politics was a little bit farther ahead because um, they could see how, you know, Obama raised money and it really affected their, their approach. But most of them were still, uh, you know, behind in a certain sense. But uh, what I saw now, though, was it was a very heated uh, conversation, which I thought was great in the sense that most people at least have heard of these things now. Um, they may have an opinion that they're negative, um, I heard a lot of uh, tweeter do, twiddle dumb, and you know little uh, <laughs> little funny analogies like that. But they at least they at least have it on their radar. And uh, I think a lot of it comes down to um, they just don't know where to start. Um, don't you know? Everyone feels stressed with time. Uh, don't see the value right now. So I think uh, just a little bit more awareness as people get used to uh, the thought process, the culture. Um, but I think it'll take, you know, it's not a year. It's more like two to three to four years as it unfolds. And, and, Steve, I'd also add that we don't even know what that's going to be in another two to three to four years. I mean, you know, all the all the hot new things, they come and go um, as far as the technology pieces go. But I think that all of them also expand how we think about um, communications, how we think about providing government services, how we think about transparency and participation and collaboration and we're our, our our thoughts are being opened up by it and so you know it's it's again it's the early stages of of these levels of communications um and um like i said we don't know what they're going to be in two or three or five years um and you know we could speculate about that um you know i i was joke around that uh you know, when my, my son's school said, well, we want to be a technology school, so we need to use keyboarding. We need to teach keyboarding skills. I thought, well, that's the stupidest thing ever. We're not going to be using keyboards forever. That's going to be, you know, as voice recognition improves, we're going to be using different types of tools um, so that the keyboarding is going to go to the wayside. I will say that the other members of the, of the, of the school, of the school um, advisory board looked at me very oddly, though. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I, I think uh, kind of what's uh, amazing too is it's like you said, it's not it's not a tool approach. Uh, a lot of it's a combination. So one of the the couple nuggets I got over the weekend was one eighty uh, percent of uh, the fundraising done through Obama was done through email still. So email is still huge. Um, and two, one of the candidates who had a successful online presence said his best work was combining the online and offline. You know, the knocking on doors, getting uh, getting the emails, and then you know live videoing, putting it all together. It's not it's not one strategy over in the corner. It's uh, really combining uh, a lot of them. So here's a question: does, does that actually add to some of the pressure that that people may be feeling? Um, when they start to look at some of the new tools and new ways to communicate. Uh, so, you, you, to your point, you can't drop the other things that you're doing. These aren't replacements, right? These are just different channels. These are different tools. They're kind of, as 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 mentioned, they're just kind of point in time. We don't know if if you know. Uh, I mean, Facebook could be like as moribund as MySpace has become here in the next year or two, right? Uh, Twitter could could give way to Google Wave or whatever it may be. I think the broader themes of collaborating, of of being more open, um, and trying to draw ideas, whether it's for policy or or whatever it may be, internally, externally, the idea of this collaborative isn't going to go away. The tools may change, but how do people start to think about? Okay, the tools are going to change. So why should I put so much effort into learning, you know, how to use Twitter as a channel or Facebook as a channel? And in addition to doing my day job, in addition to using the tools that I've already been using. Well, I think I think that we all are feeling pressure because I think things are just they just seem to be happening at a, at a faster at a faster speed. And so you know, how do you? Uh, you know, I know that there are there's social media fatigue. You know, where people are, are aren't able to keep up with their um, with their networks that they've that they've that they've decided to join, and you know, people are dropping out all over the place, as well as people tons tons and tons of people coming into the space. I think though that we are actually seeing a change in tasks. I mean, people think that they're doing the same things the same way they always did. But I was talking to a member of my team um, just this last week. One of the things we were talking about was kind of what do we see as a, as, a, as a potential future. And one of the things we were talking about was the idea of kind of netbooks and um, tools and, you know, and technologies that allow you to you know, access the Internet, um, provide, you know, do your um, email or chat. And we were talking about some of these you know, heavy-duty tools, you know, these kind of um, – you know, office productivity tools, you know, word processors or databases or, or spreadsheet tools and how we're really not using them like we used to. You know, when you think about, you know, the, uh, you know, the big word processing tools that we've been using, they were to, uh, what they did was they allowed a lot of design work to come to the desktop. But now when you're looking at design work and when you're looking at the way people are receiving information, it's very different. We still want things to look good. There's no question about that. But I was talking to a colleague, and I said, well, you know, I mean, he wanted to have his email blasts look better. And I said, well, you know what? They have to look good on Blackberries. They have to look good on smartphones. And people don't really care what your formatting is. People don't really care about, um, you know, what type of font you're using. They're really grabbing information. So as consumers of information, we're consuming the information and the data and the um, video, et cetera, in different types of ways and in more mobile ways. So I'd offer that, you know, 
I used to have a thing in the olden days called the cron file where you would take your memos and you would put them in the file and then you would have a paper copy of what they have. I don't think that I've written more than two or three memos in the past year. Most of the stuff that I'm doing is based upon email um, and, and other collaboration type tools. So I think we th- you know, the, the perception is we're still doing the same things and, and we are to a large degree, but we're also doing less of some of the old things. And I think we're going to see that continue to occur. The whole idea of reports and these beautiful, glossy, whether they're annual reports or um, other types of reports that people have been producing in four color with leaves on the side. Um, right now we're, ask, we're posting those on websites and asking people to download them. Well, I don't want all that, all that fancy stuff. I just want the information. So I think what we're going to be also seeing is from a technology standpoint, more of a separation of presentation from the information layer so you can provide this information in other types of ways. It doesn't mean that design's going to go away, and it shouldn't, because um, there's different ways to present information for different types of audiences. But I think what it means is that we're going to be, and we're going to learn to be more um, um, surgical or more specific in the ways we're trying to communicate p- information to people. So we had some interesting discussion last week about some of the, the really non-communication tools being used in, in the government 2.0 space as far as what, and that was actually covered in Jamie Maynard's uh, blog post and, and your follow-on at on.gov, which is uh, some of the stuff that DOD is doing around uh, acquisition uh, and uh, procurement and uh, opening things up uh, collaboratively in the way that uh, government sources uh, contractors. Um, what kind of things are you seeing, Gwen, that, that people are doing in government that, are, that is really innovative and is really uh, game-changing outside of the communications arena? I know that that's your specialty, but I'd like to know what your, your perspective is on other areas. Well, I have to say that I am an idiot about acquisitions, and if I complete my government career not knowing about it, I will not be too disappointed. There's some really great and terrific acquisitions professionals, and I, and I, and I appreciate their work. Um, <laughs> but that being said, I think to me one of the most exciting um, cha- things that we're seeing changing and we're seeing Innovations again was I was talking about the separation of content from presentation, and that content could be data, that content could be photos, that you know visuals. It can be words, it can be meeting information, it can be dates and times, it can be directory information. And as we're separating this kind of data layer from the presentation layer, we're seeing a lot of huge potential and, and some changes. I you know one of the things that don't laugh at me when I say this, but one of the things that really excites me is, you know, RSS. And, um, you know, okay, it's a little bit weird, but the potential that we see in, in syndicating data is so huge. And people being able to, as we've been talking about for the past really few months, you know, providing opportunities for non-government um, developers and non-government people to take data sources and mash it up and provide it and, and add it with other pieces of information and redistribute it. I also think that the, just even the redistribution, I mean, where we take um, a government website not as the destination, but we really start to work on, you know, fishing where the fish is and distributing the information through syndication, through um, the separation of content from presentation to you know, different media all over the place. And to me, I see, to me that is one of the most exciting things. I was um, 
again, when we were talking this past week about some of the things that we can imagine in the future, I mean, I, can, I could deliver an entire government website through, um, through RSS or through XML, and someone could take that information on the gov- from the government website and take the pieces that they thought were important and mash it up in their local site, in their um, special interest site, in their association site, wherever that is. You know, and these are not big syndication barriers. Um, I think it does raise an issue that I, I don't want to minimize, which is you know, trying to show about you know, um, identify authentic- authenticity or kind of where the data comes from. I think that's a problem that we're going to continue to work on and, and, um, and resolve. But I think it's really an exciting play- spot where the unit is not a website, but the unit is actually the information. Yeah, and I, I've been talking a, a lot lately about, uh, for years people have been complaining about USA Jobs as the hiring place for federal government, and I think they're just a home run for this, right? Uh, everyone always wants that data. Right. And uh, I can just admit, imagine a million associations, uh, you know, the monster.coms of the world, um, using that information that to have the, the USA Jobs, the federal jobs all over the place, um, and them to be even more popular, and you know, widgets everywhere, and you know, they should be twittering out those jobs, and you know, having nice interfaces if people don't like their original interface, uh, instead of the the old school of just you know focusing on improving the website, and you know that you know one or two or three year lift. Yeah, yeah, those then to me that's stuff that's super exciting. I mean, I put, think though that it also puts the burden, and and this kind of gets back, uh, you know. Uh, uh, rounding back to you know Jamie's post as well, I mean I think it really puts the burden on not so much government using new media technologies or Web 2.0, but really getting the way that we're, we're delivering our information right. Um, you know, uh, as I said, I could deliver. You know, a website could be delivered totally in XML, and somebody could um, um, mash it up. But then that means though that the data is, is structured at least to some degree. And I think, you know, and I think in the example of USA Jobs, I think sometimes it just gets very confusing to find the information that you're looking for. Um, and it's in a government-focused um, structure rather than a consumer-focused structure. So I think there's a lot of opportunity that have nothing to do with technology to really take a hard look at the data. And when I say data, it's really information. It's, you know, job information, scheduling information, um, you know, articles, press releases, um, um, services, and taking a look at how we can deliver that outside of you know our our closed type systems, and how do we structure that information? How do we make it more sense you know more sensical for people who don't know the secret handshake of government? And I think that uh, that is some of the most interesting work being done in in the, the field right now is kind of releasing more data and, and figuring out how how is that actually going to be useful to citizens, how can uh, third parties uh, use that data to make it more useful or uh, to add to it uh, by, through mashing it up. In San Francisco, I know that uh, that's kind of the big uh, technology uh, innovation program going on right now is working on releasing more data feeds and figuring out, you know, what actually exists in all these different departments and uh, what could be used and what do vendors actually want from the city and what do citizens want to use. We're actually, uh, we were brainstorming a fun uh, idea of actually having some kind of like, you know, team competitions on who can make uh, the best mashup or the best, uh, 
you know, repurposing of the government's uh, data feeds once we uh, get most of them up and open and all in accessible formats. And uh, it's it's pretty interesting. It's fun times, and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, economic growth that really comes out of uh, more open source and more open data in, in government. And I, and I think adding to that, too, the other thing that we're doing is, you know, as I said, as we're in these baby step phases, as we're opening up this, gov- this data, we're going to look back in 10 years and we're going to giggle about how, um, you know, how, uh, how these innovations, you know, when looking back, were, you know, naive. But what they're doing is they're teaching us right now how to deliver information, how we need to think about structuring. Even if we don't structure it yet, that we're thinking about structuring it is a, is a big win. Um, and things are happening very quickly, and I think one of the things that we forget to do is to stop for a second and just look over our shoulders. And if you look over your shoulder, you'll see how far we've come. I mean, we're always looking ahead, which is good, to see how far we have to go. But if you look over your shoulder and just think about things that, you know, and, and people listening today, think about the things they've accomplished over the past, you know, three weeks, six months two years. It really is remarkable. We've really learned a lot. And we learn a lot from our failures as well as our successes. And I, you know, I, I hope, and, and, and this is a little bit a different uh, thread, but I hope we could also take a look at, you know, allowing more innovation um, so that people can learn and we learn, as much, we learn a lot from things that we do poorly. I think that's one of the great things about opening up the government data to other, um, to non-government users is, you know, there's not only innovation, which is huge, but there's also more room to fail if you're not actually doing it on the government dime. So here, here's a question about that, and I, I think, you know, that's a, that's a, a very, very big point is, is having the freedom to fail and then move on to the next thing, which is is something I think, especially in the commercial internet space, the you know the the, the public sector, or I'm sorry, the, um, the private sector, you see more of that. And Tim O'Reilly, I think, made that point during his keynote at at, at OGI that you know the government needs to to um, accept failure more frequently and know when to pull the plug on a bad program. Do you think you know how long do you think it's going to take to kind of get there? I mean, I think especially with the the way that certain things are set up, the way the procurement's set up, where it takes you know such a long time to get a project off and running, I think there's um, uh, folks don't want to necessarily accept failure because it took so long to get to the point that they're at by the time they fail. I mean, so how, I mean, is this going to be something that just gradually shifts, or, or do we see people embracing this maybe at a smaller level fairly rapidly? I think, and Adriel, I think, could talk to this a little bit more than I can in terms of what's happening on the local level. I think that we were able to see it, um, and you're able to see kind of these quick things happen easier, or not easier, but um, there, there's more room on the local level. I mean, when you're looking at big, multi-million, multi-billion dollar federal projects, there really isn't a lot of stomach for failure. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, it, it's the way that we um, develop IT in the, and develop IT projects in the private sector, and, and in the public sector, I'm sorry, but in, in the private sector as well. I mean, there's big failures in big companies as well as, as uh, um, and, and cost overruns and, and schedule um, 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 delays, et cetera. Um, but I think on government, the one thing that we have is, and an important thing that we have is there really is there's oversight. And the oversight says, you know, you've been spending these millions of dollars um, and you failed. And that's taxpayer money, and, 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 that's, and that's hard. I don't know what the answer is going to be to that. I think in some ways it's structuring 
again, I'm talking out of my lane when I'm talking about procurement, but structuring comment, uh, contracts in a way that you actually can iterate contract, iterate projects and make them better. I mean, I think there's always a big challenge when you have to have all the requirements done before you start an IT project. Um, and, this, and I've done this in the private sector as well. You know, uh, for me, I think even for a large project, you know, having very strong goals and having um, strong timelines are important. But you don't know all the answers before you start the project. And I think that that's a big challenge when you see you know, requirements, documents that would fill, you know, a good-sized room, uh, binders that would fill a good-sized room, because you have to have all the answers before you start. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, I think one of the challenges is, you know, pe is people's feelings not only about change but dealing with uncertainty. Um, you know, I'm borderline ADD, so change is really exciting for me, and I always have to recognize that, that other people are more, um, more reticent than I am about these areas. And, you know, there's part of it's ways to be clear at the beginning of a project that you're going to be iterating it, running more pilots, um, doing more sharing of information, sharing of successes. I think that's the other challenge we have. And I think in government, you know, um, we have – we aren't really competing with each other in a direct fashion, you know. Um, and so, you know, how do we better share lessons learned from DOD, lessons learned from the State Department, lessons learned from EPA, lessons learned from, you know, FEMA, lessons learned from – um, the FBI, you know, in, in different projects that they're doing and, and get those out. And I think that the Federal CIOs Council, um, you know, um, is, is a way to kind of, you know, bridge that levels of information. But they've got a lot of responsibilities, too. So the question is, you know, how do you open things up? I think that, uh, I'm, and it's very exciting, the IT dashboard that, um, that was introduced a few weeks ago from OMB, from uh, um, Federal CIO Vivek Kundra, is a really interesting start in kind of making things more open, um, talking about schedules, talking about costs, but also talking about what the projects are trying to accomplish. And so you could, you know, in theory, over time, take a look at the different projects, look at their similarities, and not only is that useful for people in terms of transparency, but it's also in, useful in terms of government so we could find out what each, other's are doing, each other are doing and hopefully be able to reach out and learn some lessons from people's you know, um, successes and failures. And Gwen, I think that adding on to your point, I, I wouldn't say a lot different really about local government, but one of the things is just as you're using your blog to kind of talk about uh, areas of concern and other projects and other agencies that you might not have a say in or maybe talk about things that you're interested in doing. In, in San Francisco where we've got a, a new blog called uh, OpenSF, uh, it's .wordpress.com, and it's again a, an unofficial blog with several of the kind of government 2.0 types, uh, whether that's our official job description or not, uh, contributing to that blog. And we're able to talk about uh, things that others are doing, things that we're trying to do, and get feedback. So to some extent, and I think this goes back a little bit to your original post about uh, the, the choir boys and uh, what was the title of it? Choir and boys Rebels. Uh, and Rebels. I, I mean, to some extent, it's, it's the... Uh, 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 you know, the quiet rebellion, you know, nobody's out there uh, 
trying to really break the rules, but we are experimenting and talking about ideas maybe beyond the official channels. And I think that, um, you know, we also saw uh, since uh, GovTwit started a year ago, something like a 1,300% uh, increase in, in the number of uh, Twitter handles that are from government employees and agencies. So whether or not the official culture is moving quickly, there's a lot of little avenues, little cracks in the wall, uh, I think, that are really a positive thing uh, because they're going to help uh, move forward in a uh, in an, an experienced fashion. You know, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're uh, slowly transitioning to a different kind of culture and uh, different kinds of employees helping lead the charge as well, I think. Maybe maybe more the ADD people uh, <laughs> uh, driving. I, uh, maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's you know, a lot of fun. It's really interesting. And I think I think that's um, the other um, site that I had done in my post on uh, on the Choir Boys and the Rebels was I cited um, on a blog post that Craig Newmark from Craigslist had done, uh, talking about kind of these changes that are happening in government and among government staff. And I think that Adriel, that's exactly what you're talking about, is that. This social network, social networking, also gives us an opportunity for me to me to know you, you know, and for me to know Steve and and others, and and share this information for us to be able to have this show that we're having right now. Um, how hard would it be to set this up, you know, and and even and even get the knowledge base about it, you know, even a year, year and a half ago, and now because these networks have been developing organically. Um, we're seeing that this change is happening, and people who are interested and um, excited um, and um, and smart or trying to be smart about this are starting to find each other. And I think that that's I think that that's ultimately good because rather than having you know one or two people in an agency, as they reach out to other people, they realize that maybe they're not as big of freaks as they thought they were, um, or, or or at least there's more freaks. Um, and then we start building those bridges. Uh, across um, across you know um, levels of government you know um, local state federal tribal as well as across different agencies and we're starting and we're seeing the sharing happening right now. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think that's great, and I think the trick is what I really liked about your post is uh, how early it is. It reminds me I used to be really into music and. Uh, you know, a lot of my bands that I like, the obscure bands would get, you know, so 100 people would see the show rather than 20. You know, some people all of a sudden would kind of yell, sell out and try to beat the band down. And, you know, really we should be helping them, you know, get to 1,000 and, and 5,000 uh, venue shows. I think the same way is the way with Go2O. We can't, uh, can't beat it up while it's still so early. We really need to, uh, you know, come together and, and build the tribe um, even if you've seen the same, you know, your favorite band ten times at 50 people, that's okay. You know, it's uh, bring two friends to the next concert, so uh, you know your your band will stay around for a while and not just crumble because they, uh, you know, need a day job to pay their band bills. <laughs> that, that's a great analogy. I um, and, uh, and and Steve know, uh, Steve knows that I'm a big uh, Kings of Leon fan, and they were on uh, the Today Show this week, and you know they they were accused of being the next U2, and you could just see them crumbling. It's like, no, no, we don't want people to think we are we've gotten too big for our britches, and I I think we're far from being too big for our britches um, in in this space, um, but I do think that we're really seeing um, the building of 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 a real vibrant and legitimate community um, that 
um, you know, we we didn't have I mean, we didn't have the communications tools before. I mean, before you know, you might be able to travel to a meeting once in a while. You know, you might be on a listserv. But now, what we're seeing in the proliferation of, of communication tools and ways to communicate and ways to kind of daisy chain across um, projects and across levels of government and across um, you know departments within government um, is, is is very different now and it's and and you know you know to the to the point of you know bringing two people to the concert you know getting a couple more people in the choir you know we're building that every single day let me ask when also what you think about um, you know I'm always kind of hyping the possibilities when government doesn't compete with itself as much or with other agencies. And I know, you know, the, the way our system of government is set up with uh, judicial branches and local, state, and federal, there are times when, when agencies come into conflict. I mean, I've actually been involved in, in my day job in lawsuits between government agencies of different types. But uh, on the other hand, we don't have the principle of uh, open market competition like uh, private sector businesses do. I, I'm always thinking that when you start opening up a lot of government innovation and working more collaboratively, that not only will it make the government more efficient and cost-effective, but it'll really open up, uh, you know, maybe a vast trove of innovation that's been kind of hidden behind some of these government firewalls. You know, I hope so, and I think that, and I think we are seeing that to some degree. I guess my only caution would be, you know, and I. Um, um, I really am a huge believer in, in standards and so that we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. On the other hand, hand I like high-level standards. I don't like to be too prescriptive because the one thing we don't want to do is to you know, create only one area or only one path or only, you know, or, you know, it's really to avoid the kind of group think type of thing, you know. So if, if we, you know, if, if the three of us decide that, you know, the best new, next, best tool that's coming out is called, let's say there's a tool called Piglet, and we all love Piglet, and we're moving everybody towards Piglet, and then, you know, Eeyore comes out. Well, you know, you know, the idea is that you want to have Eeyore get a chance if it's better than Piglet. But we also want to let people to innovate on Eeyore so that that also can make Piglet better. Okay, I'm done with the poo analogy. <laughs> okay, I thought you had teenagers, not uh, not mine. <laughs> they didn't like the poo analogy either. I guess. Sorry. Yeah. Love Piglet. Love Eeyore. You know. But I think that you know. So I think the standards and and have and, and I think I think the competition, uh, especially where we get to innovation, is, is great. And as we can become. As it says, we can share more and collaborate more, um, and um, but, it, but I do want to balance that. I mean, my, you know, in the back of my mind, I always am thinking, gosh, but if we all are doing the same thing, then we're all doing the same thing. Uh, you know, I think that that was one of the interesting things about the U.K. Twitter uh, guidelines that, that came out, because they weren't uh, – I, I just reviewed I mean, it was 20 pages. I reviewed it pretty quickly, but it wasn't uh, highly prescriptive. It was more – a description of how uh, Twitter can be used and how it might be used effectively. And I thought it was very well done in the sense of showing people how to use it instead of telling them what not to do, which uh, it seems is, is often the uh, impetus behind new policies. <laughs> yeah, no is easier than 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 yes. Um, although, as I've you know, going back to my teenagers, one of the things that they taught me, and actually my kids taught me from the beginning, is that 
I want to say no as infrequently as possible. I don't want to say no a lot because then you have to enforce it and, you know, people get upset. So how do you get to yes? And I think that in, um, you know, in as uh, agencies are developing social media policies, you know, part of it is, is, you know, the horse is out of the barn. You're not going to be dragging it back in. And so I agree with you that the, the U.K. policy was good in not being, you know, um, you know, a list of do's and don'ts, but a really kind of an under, helping people to get an understanding of the positives and the negatives of it. There was actually an article in the um, Washington Post this morning talking about um, the NFL getting um, its knickers in the wad because um, the NFL players are using Twitter. And so there's, you know, they're coming off practice and they're coming off, you know, their two days and they're talking about how, how much it stunk and they're talking about each other. Um, and the NFL, which has been working very hard to have a very, um, a, a lot of control over the image and a lot of control over, you know, the image of, the, of, of their players are really losing it on Twitter. And it's interesting to kind of see in this um, very different um, market in this very different um, area um, what the NFL you know, big brother is doing vis-a-vis their players. I mean, the funniest thing was uh, um, there was a player who was saying that you know he was not allowed to um, tweet from inside the um, inside the locker room. So I said, so now I'm out of the locker room. He tweets. <laughs> 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 but I think, though, and, and that's actually one of the other things I try to do on my blog, is to talk about these analogous worlds, um, not just government, but really thinking about how we're going to apply what's happening in these other, um, in these other um, industries um, and how things that they're facing is also going to affect government. And I thought that the NFL players were just, was just brilliant. And I might you know, have to rename myself, you know, Ocho Seis. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I saw that article too, and I, I thought a couple things. First is I've got to get a, uh, a separate column now for my tweet deck that has nothing but skins players. <laughs> and, and, and second, second, the exact same thing. You've got uh, I think there are a lot of analogies. You've got a, an organization, as you said, that is just hyper, hyper um, over the way that it manages its image to the point where you know they they did things like uh, make certain that uh, you know Mr. Vic comes in three or four or six weeks down the road versus opening day, so it doesn't take away the opening day story. So, And yet they've let this one particular medium kind of get out of hand, and, and they don't have a control over it. So they'll, it'll be interesting to see how they actually come and, and try to impose regulations and what those are and what those standards and guidance are, and if they take a lockdown approach, uh, which is you know similar to what we saw you know going around with the DOD that we mentioned in the front end, right. or... or is it going to be something where they they figure out uh, you, you know more of okay these can be these tools need to be used but you need to think about how you use them and and that you're still representing the organization and you know uh, you're under the auspices of the organization when you're you know when you're putting out messages as Chris Cooley or you know from the Washington Redskins people know who you are people uh, associate yourself there was some back and forth on Twitter this week with Mary Davy and myself and and uh, Uri Herzog and some other folks about the same sort of thing you know should should government twitter streams just be official you know un- the thing that comes out of EPA is that the only thing official or is, is Jeff Levy's uh you know can you take some of the things that comes from Jeff's uh, Jeffrey Levy's um account as being official as well and the same thing for yours or for for Steve's or whomever and 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 
you, you know, at the upfront, you did the right thing, right? You said, well, you know, my these are my opinions. These are not necessarily the opinion of my employer. But I think as you start to ratchet up in terms of your visibility and in terms of your position, you know, Vivek says something on, mind you, he's not using his Twitter account, it appears, but if he does use his Twitter account and pushes something out and says, well, this is an official policy, this is just me talking, I think it's a little harder to say, well, it's not official. And I think that's exactly right, and I think that, uh, you know, as, uh, and one of the things we were talking about was that, you know, with the NFL, that there may be some more contractual um, limitations, and, and that goes back to kind of the don'ts category versus what the UK Twitter policy was was really kind of a you know uh, you know not a, you know not a you know thou shalt not as much as it is like you know here's you know here is the um, the you know, the way that it's developing right now and here are some things that smart people or thoughtful people or at least people should be thinking about as they're entering into these discussions and um, um, and, and I think that'll help. You know that, that level of education and providing some guidance um, and, and respect for people's you know professionalism and their ability to do the right thing. You know, it's, you know, part it also goes something we really haven't talked about too much, which is you know people's um, uh, ability to um, take on some level of risk or their comfort level with different levels of risk. And I think that that that's another thing that really does. Um, um, you know, color and add flavor to this conversation is, is, you know, how, you know, how much do we trust everybody? You know, what if something bad happens? And again, as the mother of teenagers, um, that's something that I've really been thinking about a lot over the past couple of years. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's funny you see it with email, uh, less so in the government, but uh, often with friends that are lawyers, you have that disclaimer at the bottom that says, you know, nothing that I say is, you know, official and, you know, two paragraphs of, uh, you know why why this email can't get me into trouble. So uh, let's hope Twitter. You know, 140 characters. We don't have time for all of that. But maybe we can uh, have a have a quick link to something that says that as well. Right, and 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 hopefully the other thing too is that we can evaluate the usefulness of that. You know, I mean, um, there was somebody that I knew that was um, being advised by their attorney to have some disclaimer language. Um, on you know on the information about their videos, basically the disclaimer language is saying we don't stand behind you know we don't warrant the accuracy of this information, and you know her his response was well then why are we putting it up I mean we have to you know again that's a question of risk and what level of risk are you willing to take and you know there is an adult and and, and I don't want to be totally flip about it because there are some exposures to to government. Um, and we need to, to continue to working on figuring this stuff out. And again, that's why we're at the baby steps. Yeah, and it's like the email that that, uh, that two paragraphs at the bottom is kind of worthless now, even though it says stuff because uh, you've seen it everywhere. So uh, it gets back to to more bigger issues. But uh, Adriel, I think uh, we're wrapping up, and uh, I think another another great guest, another great show. Uh, have any thoughts on your end? I was just going to say I laughed more during this show than, than average, so I appreciate that, Glenn. You're, you're a great conversationalist. Oh, well, thanks, really, and thanks so much for thinking about me and having me. Um, as as you can tell, I've been thinking about it, and, and, and Steve knows it's hard to shut me up, so thanks for letting me well, go on. You know, one funny thing I, I was going to mention that I didn't was I just saw a post, and I haven't I haven't read it yet, but it's uh, that Chris Brogan has uh, decided to stop auto-following, and I think that goes to the changing nature of these tools. I think we both have learned a lot from Chris Brogan as far as blogging style and how to use social media. And here's one of the best blogger 
communicators on Twitter and saying, you know, it's getting, I, I'm assuming he's saying it's getting too crazy, too spammy, Now I have to be more discreet about how I use it. Uh, and it just shows you that, that we can't ever uh, uh, rest on our laurels uh, if we're, you know, participating in these spaces. Yeah. No room to be bored in this arena. That's true. Thank you so much, Gwen, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Do you have any, any closing thoughts? Or are you? Uh... Well, I, you know, all I can say is, you know, um, you know, when I'm in the choir, always make sure that I'm in the back because I really sing off quick key. That would be my last thing to say. I mean, uh, um, but um, but I will, as my husband says, you know, I always sing with great feeling, and I will continue doing that. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us on a Sunday and taking your time out. Uh, Steve Lunsford, did you have any closing thoughts? No. Again, thanks. Thanks for joining us. And um, uh, do we? Well, do we have a guest for next week lined up yet? Uh, we don't uh, have a guest officially lined up for next week. I know that I'm, I've been talking to uh, Andy Krzmarzik, uh who's actually on vacation right now, but about putting together uh, an actual sort of panel uh, around the OGI conference that he was hoping to get on the show. That may be for the show two weeks from now. Okay. Um, and uh, next week, if, if folks are interested, you, uh, of course you guys can shoot me uh, ideas, and I'd be happy to get on uh, folks that you have in mind, uh, but also, as well as uh, listeners uh, to the show can contact uh, me uh, by email at adrielh at yahoo.com uh, or get any of us on Twitter. Uh, our uh, co-producer is uh, Megan Harvey. Her Twitter account is at Megan1018. That's one way to get on the show. Uh, I'm at Adriel Hampton. We have at DS Lunsford and at GovLoop. So uh, please, uh, if you're interested in coming on the show or if you have an idea for someone who would be a great guest, uh, don't hesitate to let us know uh, by email or by Twitter. And I want to thank everyone again for joining us for this edition of Government 2.0 Radio. And uh, it's been great, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks. See you. Bye. Bye.